worship this morning. Whether you are here with us in person or worshiping with us over the live stream, it is a joy to be gathered together with the children of God, with the people of God, to exalt the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we are thrilled that you're here with us. And if you're visiting with us this morning, if it's your first time here, we want to offer you a warm welcome. We're glad you've chosen to worship with us. And we hope that when you came in this morning, you were led to the table that gives away our goodie bags. We want you to have... See, I used to always love taking my son to the state fair. And you know what we did every year at the state fair? We looked for every table with the free stuff. I would always have a contest with them. And I would say, Joel, let's see who can get more free stuff, you or dad. Who do you think won? <laughs> so we hope you got our tumblers and the stuff that lets you know a little bit about us and shares with you our vision, which is a very relational vision. Since God is a covenantal God, which means relationship, we want to reach out to you. And we'd like to ask all of you, this is whether you're a visitor or a longtime member or a tender, on the end of your aisle, there should be friendship pads. Get it started, pass it down to your, hopefully, friend, and let us know that you're here. We would love to have the opportunity to get to know you. Uh, this morning, we have the opportunity to have the Lord feed us both in word and at his meal. I always call the Lord's Supper God's hospitality. And yes, the sermon title was purposeful, Eating with Sinners. Here's the chief one. We're going to always come to the table where Jesus will feed us, so hopefully our hearts are prepared. And it's a reverent time, but it's also a joyful time to think that our Savior gives us of himself to strengthen us and to renew us and to feed us. A couple of announcements to uh, make your way to let you know. In the women's ministry, we have the pastor and potluck coming up in two weeks on Monday night, August 29th at 6 p.m. Uh, hopefully the weather will cooperate. We'll be outside in the pavilion. Sign up in the narthex. And one of the things that the women's ministry, a new initiative, is called Secret Sisters. And so you can read about that. We're excited about that as well. This, to me, is a praise. We've been talking about the victory train and helping out with them. Lynn tells me we have enough sign-ups. We have plenty of women going to that. And to me, that's... Talk about making a pastor's heart glad. You know, we call for sign-ups, and now we have to say, whoop, stop now for now. We'll, we'll catch it next time. But I want to thank you all for signing up, and that's coming up here on the 23rd of August. And then a mention with Bookbinders on Friday, August 19th. Uh, that Bring a Salad to Share luncheon will begin at from noon to 1. Notice what it says in the bulletin. The change is it's from noon until 1, and it will be at the church, not at the Johnson's home, at the church over in rooms 111 and 112. And so please take notes in your bulletin. Change of time, change of location. And then please be in prayer for the outreach ministry, English as a Second Language. We're real excited to be starting that up. Uh, the registration will be Sunday, September 11th. And then first day of classes, Sunday, September 8th, Russell Puppy, raise your hand, Russell, is still looking for volunteers. It is never too late to serve. See, Russell, if you have any questions regarding that. And so, friends, those are some of the things going on in the life of the church. And so now, as we listen to the prelude,
Let's be still and know that he is God and prepare our hearts for worship. tremendous is, is it that our Lord and Savior personally leads us. It truly is a blessed thought that he leads us. We follow a person, and a person, the person of God, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has personally called us as individuals and as his family, as a body, into his presence for worship this morning. He calls us to bring our whole selves joys and sorrows. When we're on the mountaintop and when we're in the valley, 
maybe even through the valley of the shadow of death. Whatever it is you're feeling this morning, whatever it is you're experiencing and going through, whatever is going on in your life, bring it before the Lord. Bring it before His throne of grace. Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 29, verses 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Lord, may we ascribe all glory and honor, sovereignty and power, majesty and splendor to Your most holy and exalted name. Thank You for calling us into Your presence this morning. May You join us and walk amongst us as Your covenant children. Lord, we thank You for Your presence this morning. May we experience and encounter your presence and your power through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. It's amazing how things happen just prior to worship. We found out, and I was looking at my little smartwatch here, and it was 1029 when we found out there are no slides. The slides are not working for whatever reason. Now, I hope there are still hymnals, okay? So you're being invited to grab your hymnal. How about that? We're going old school this morning. And turn to number 642. And I bet you most of you know this anyway. What a great hymn of the faith. Let's stand together and sing, Be Thou My Vision. Verses 1, 2, 4, and 5.
Part of our community Bible reading this week came from Psalm 14. And so our need of confession this morning comes from those first three verses of Psalm 14, 1 to 3. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Friends, this is the human condition, and this is our condition according to our flesh. And of course, we understand what the Bible teaches if we are followers of Jesus, if we are in Christ, yes, we are saved from both the penalty of sin, we are being saved from the power of sin. One day, we will be completely saved from the presence of sin. But right now, we still battle with the flesh. The flesh is still within us. And so our flesh and our flesh hasn't changed. It is still characterized the same way. That means our flesh turns aside from God at every turn. Doesn't naturally seek after God and his glory. We go our own way. Which means we are continually in need of what the Bible calls repentance. As a matter of fact, Martin Luther in the 95 Theses, he said, here was his first thesis. He said, when the Bible calls us to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he meant for the entirety of the believer's life to be one of repentance. So I invite us personally to confess our sins. And I see things on the slide. Does that mean the corporate confession of sin is on the slide? Somebody nod their head. Okay, I'm getting, I'm getting a thumbs up from Lincoln back there. Good. Let's confess our sins and recognize what is sin and not sin. The slides, you know, whatever's going on, that's not sin. <laughs> Let's personally confess our sins, and in a few moments, I will lead us in, and we will pray together our corporate confession of sin. Let's pray. Let us pray together. <clears throat> Almighty God, eternal Father, we acknowledge and confess to you that we were born in unrighteousness. Our life is full of sin and transgression. We have not gladly believed your word nor followed your holy commandments. For your goodness sake and for your name's sake, be gracious unto us, we pray, and forgive us all our sins which is very great. Amen. 
The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Now, of course, what is very fascinating about this passage is in the chronology of the New Testament, Paul began speaking to the Corinthians, and that letter was written first, where he called himself the least of all the apostles. I just want you to picture that. That was the least of this small group of men. Then a few years later, he wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus, where he referred to himself as the least of all the saints. And now, as he's preparing to go home to the Lord, and he's training his protege, Timothy. He's passing the gospel baton, so to speak, on to Timothy. Look at how he refers to himself. He says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. That sound like growth to you? I'm the worst of a few. I'm the worst of the whole church. And I'm the worst of the human race. That's actually what growth looks like. The more you grow, the more you see of the otherness and the holiness and the majesty of God. And you see how far short we fall. And what fills that gap? The cross of Jesus Christ. That's where it becomes just grace, becomes galvanizing in our soul that God could forgive, that Jesus Christ could come into the world to save sinners. Friends, this is the assurance of pardon that I encourage you to receive. We're going to sing now, We Will Feast in the House of Zion. And let me read the words to the refrain. The praise team is going to lead us in this. The, I would encourage you, if you know the words, join in. The chorus goes, We will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts restored. He has done great things. We will say together, We will feast and weep no more. And they came back. <laughs> Miracles happened. <laughs> Let's stand and sing praise.
to the Lord now in a time of prayer where we will say together the prayer that our Savior taught us, and then I will lead us in a time of pastoral prayer. Friends, let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, you are our shepherd. David prayed that, and he said, we shall not want. You cause our hearts to lie down in green pastures. You quiet and still our souls. And David also prayed that you lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. And so, Father, we recognize that many of our number are hurting, that many of our number are suffering trials and afflictions of various kinds, that there are those who are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and they need to experience you and know you and feel your power and your presence as their shepherd their shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Lord, this morning I especially lift up our brother and our friend Doug Hesse. I pray, Father, for his continual battle against pancreatic cancer, and I pray for the procedure that they are going to do tomorrow. We as a church and as a congregation lift up our dear brother and our sister Jean and ask, Father, that this procedure to help try to limit some of the pain that he's in would be successful. We thank you for medical care. We thank you for the doctors and the nurses. And we come alongside them. And we ask, Father, that you would be a comfort. That you would smile upon them and be favorable in this procedure to him. That you would battle back and push back this cancer. That you would bring healing if it's your will. We boldly and yet submissively pray to you. And Father, we know that there are many others who are hurting some of us are quiet. Some of us share our pains. Whatever they may be, we know you are sovereign. Reach down into our lives and bring the compassion and the comfort that you are. For your very essence is love. Father, we pray for us as a ministry and as a church. I thank you for the leaders, the elders, and the deacons the women's leaders, the home fellowship group leaders, the ministry team leaders. I pray, Father that your blessing would be upon us, that you would bring renewal. Renew us in the gospel continually. Help us to always be rediscovering the power of the gospel for our lives individually and corporately. Lord, we don't want to return to some sort of new normal. We pray for vibrancy. We pray for life. I think of your word that says, it is the thief who comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus, you have come to bring life and to give us life and to give it to the full. And that doesn't mean walking around always happy, but it means full life. So Lord, you are a life giver and you are life itself. And we pray that you would breathe life into us by the word of your power. So Father, we thank you 
We pray now for the offering that we are about to receive. May we give out of grace. May we give by faith. May we ask that you bless these offerings to be used to build for your kingdom. Grant us wisdom in the giving and the using of these gifts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
have Bibles with you, I would ask you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9. The text upon which our teaching is based this morning comes from Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 17. And while you are turning and before I read the text, let us pray together. May your purposes be achieved this morning as your word goes out. May your word go out with power. And I thank you for the promise of the scripture that your word does not return void, that it accomplishes what you've set out for it to accomplish. So Lord, we ask that we wouldn't just receive information describing the text, but we would truly encounter you by your word and spirit, that it would come with power, that you would transform our lives by grace, that we would be more and more conformed to the beauty and the person of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 17. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the path is the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Well, for the past several weeks, we have been exploring and looking at the topic of why Jesus came to the earth, what he came to do, and why he has a church in the world. And a key component, if you notice in this text, is the fact that Jesus eats with, fellowships with, invites to relationship with tax collectors and sinners. Now, I know many of you are University of Georgia fans. And I know we're coming up soon on that, oh, I don't want to be blasphemous here, that sacred time of year. Maybe it should be a little less sacred. But but I have learned one thing in terms of living here just over a year. College football is a little bit important. So I got to be careful here to step on toes with the right things and not other things. So I'm careful. But December of 2015, put yourself back in there if you're a Georgia fan, because Kirby Smart was hired to be the next head football coach of the Georgia Bulldogs. 
And whenever somebody comes to be a football coach or something like that, I do believe there are expectations attached to that. Nobody brings in a coach and at his initial press conference he goes, we aspire to great things, we want to be 2-10 and 10 this year. That usually doesn't go so well, does it? There are expectations that are attached. Now with Kirby Smart they were through the roof and, and may I say, rumor has it, he kind of came through a little bit, that national championship last year. And I bet you we have expectations for him to do it again this year, don't we? A new regime of any kind brings expectations. It was no different in Jesus' day. And talk about expectations, because when he came with the gospel, what did he say? He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. That's a little bit bigger than a national championship, folks. Now it's time to step on toes. What kind of expectations do you think with Jesus' claim that in his person, in his being, in his presence, the very power and rule and reign of the Lord of the cosmos had come to earth? N.T. Wright, a commentator on this, says this. He says, what the pictures from ordinary life, that's what Jesus is using in this text, a meal, a wedding, new clothes, wine, what they all have in common is Jesus' insistence that the new and the old won't mix. This doesn't mean, of course, that the old was 100% bad. Matthew insists that Jesus came not to destroy but to fulfill. It simply means that morning has broken on a new day, God's new day, and the practices that were appropriate for the nighttime are now no longer needed. The times were indeed changing. God's new world was being born, and from now on, everything would be different. The question for us is whether we are living in that new world ourselves or whether we keep sneaking back to the old one where we feel more at home. Friends, the theme of this text is this. You were built for God's new world. You weren't built for life outside of Eden. You were built and created and designed for the kingdom of God. You were built for God's new world. Now, what does that mean? We're going to look at it from three perspectives. We're going to look at the fact that God's new world comes with authority, that God's new world comes with surprise, and that God's new world comes with newness. Authority, surprise, and newness. If you're taking notes this morning, I'm giving your hand a rest. One word outlines. How's that? See, I try to be gracious every now and then. First, look with me at the calling of Matthew in verse 9 and the fact that God's new world comes with authority. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, now, I love the fact, this is Matthew's gospel. He's narrating this about himself, by the way. You do get that. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew. I would have gone, he saw me! But Matthew goes, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he immediately rose and followed him. See, I love this. It says, as Jesus went on from there, it's like he's out for just a walk in the park. He's out for a casual stroll. 
And as he was walking, he happened to spot Matthew sitting at the tax booth. Now, think about this. In the previous passage, I want to put this in context, in the previous passage, Jesus had just demonstrated his authority to forgive sins by healing and forgiving the paralytic. As a matter of fact, it says, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority. There's that theme. Matthew's going with that theme. Has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat, and go home. You see a real miracle there. Somebody who couldn't walk could now walk. Jesus has authority to forgive sins. Now the text tells us that he's calling to himself and his new community a man whose job made him an absolute outcast, an absolute pariah, and here is Jesus associating with pariahs. As we looked at with Zacchaeus, Matthew is also a tax collector. Even hearing the term now gives us shivers. But what made it worse back then was that the tax collectors would typically overcharge and overcollect what was due in order to pocket the difference. So they were hated, they were despised, and they were scoundrels. And this is the man, Jesus says, I want you to be a part of my community. I want you to be on my team. I want you, I choose you to be a part of what I'm doing. And notice a couple things about this authoritative call. First, it's a call to follow, not lead. When you become a Christian, you give up the right to lead and call the shots in your life. Yes, you make decisions, but you make every decision under the unequivocal lordship of Jesus Christ. You are no longer your own Master, how's that for a message that goes in a completely different current than our culture? The first piece of good news, it's like, I have good news for you. You are not your own. You are not responsible for yourself. You are not free, if by freedom you mean independent to do what I want. That is not biblical freedom. Freedom is not autonomy. You belong to Jesus Christ. And it's real interesting because the word here, so when he says, follow me, and then it says, Matthew rose, it's like a resurrection. And he's using a word that often is used kind of with resurrection words. Matthew is going from death to life. Being a Christian means being a follower. Even if you were a leader, the best leaders need to become the absolute best followers. And notice what else. Jesus' call is authoritative. When Jesus calls, it brings reality into being. I love how the psalmist talks about Jesus involved, or the Lord's creation. Psalm 33 says, he spoke and it came to be. All he said was, let there be light, and there was light. God's word isn't just an empty word, it's an action. It brings reality into being. You know, Evie and I don't have grandchildren yet, okay? So we're empty nesters and we don't have grandchildren. But you know what we have? We have our puppy, Gracie. 
And if you know me and you're friends with me and stuff like that, you know how much Evie and I love Gracie. So a month ago, we went to, on vacation and we went down to Jekyll Island and we stayed on the beach and had a great time. And of course, we bring Gracie with us. Now, Gracie's never seen the ocean. And so Evie and I said, we've got to take Gracie out for a walk on the beach, see if we can get her paws in the ocean, take her out to the ocean. So we put her harness on, put the leash on, we're walking Gracie, and Gracie hates the ocean. She will not go near the ocean. She pulled so hard, she pulled out of her leash, out of her harness, and there goes Gracie, down the beach. And there goes Jeff, down the beach. Now, do I look like I run very fast? So what do I do? Gracie, come. What does Gracie do? She keeps running down the beach. My word is not anywhere near God's word. And guess what? Your word is not anywhere near God's word. God says light, and there was light. God says galaxy, and there was galaxies. God says how many galaxies, and there were how many galaxies. Do you understand the authority of God? God's new world that you and I were built for why we're here comes with authority. Look what else. This call, follow me, it's very important. Do you realize to be a Christian is to follow a person? Now, i got to speak to my Reformed Presbyterian friends for a second. Okay, and sorry for stepping on toes. A lot of times I think, now, am I speaking against Reformed doctrine? No, not at all. Here's what I'm speaking against. We have a tendency to make reformed doctrine an idol. Like it's an end in and of itself. I love how the preacher Steve Brown puts it when he says, we forget that doctrine isn't for doctrine's sake and theological propositions are not for theological proposition's sake. To be a Christian is to follow a person. Jesus came in the flesh. The word became flesh and made his dwelling upon us. Jesus is God incarnate. He became a person so he can relate to us. The call to follow me is to follow a person. He has given us of his spirit so that we can hear him. John 10 says, the sheep hear my voice. Does that sound like just a doctrine? He leadeth me, O blessed thought. He, this authority over the universe, personally leads you. We see this immediately. When Matthew holds a dinner party, and we're going to come to this in just a second, and he invites his presence. He invites his friends, his fellow tax collectors and sinners to eat with Jesus. The call to follow me is personal and relational. God's new world is personal and relational. Next, God's new world comes with surprise. Look with me at verse 10. Okay? Jesus came to break all existing categories of what it means to follow God, to have a relationship with God. It says, as Jesus reclined at table in the house, so he's having dinner. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. They were drawn to him. They were attracted to him. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, Jesus said, 
Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Friends lumping together tax collectors and sinners were both those who broke the existing religious categories held by the Pharisees of what they felt were proper rules of conduct as well as societal and cultural categories concerning disreputable people. See, eating them would expose you to both the dangers of ceremonial defilement as well as relational rejection. What does Jesus do? He ignores both. He breaks through both. He breaks every existing category. See, to Jesus, people matter. All people matter. Lost people matter. Jesus came to pursue lost people. Friends, do lost people matter to us? Do we pursue them? Let me try to give you a very simple application from this text. Jesus went and had a meal. Why? Because in the ancient world, a meal was an invitation to relationship. A meal was an invitation to fellowship and communion. It was not just a, a business deal. It was not just a form of contract. It was an invitation. Jesus is here opening his heart to who? The disreputable people. Let me give you a simple application. Have a barbecue at your house. Grill, I bet you some of you are great cooks. Guys, I bet you some of you have smokers and stuff like that. Barbecue, do something, and invite non-church people over. Yes, they'd be tax collectors and sinners, and you want to know why? Because so are you. Show them that hanging out with church people doesn't have to be weird. We can be normal. Break down barriers. That's what Jesus did. He broke every existing category. And then, yeah, if there are a few Pharisees and they want to kind of go, huh, why are you hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? Well, they criticize Jesus that way too. You can take that criticism. N.T. Wright again says, he says, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because while other religious leaders of the day saw their task as being to keep themselves in quarantine, away from possible sources of moral and spiritual infection, Jesus saw himself as a doctor who'd come to heal the sick. There's no point in a doctor staying in quarantine. He'll never do his job. As a matter of fact, that's why Jesus quotes, and I happen to think he uses a bit of sarcasm when he says to the Pharisees, Go and learn this. Kind of like chuckle, chuckle, you who are supposed to be so full of knowledge and supposed to be the people's elite and the people's teacher. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What is he doing there? He's quoting out of Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. And he says, you yourselves who pride yourselves on knowledge, you're supposed to be the people's teachers, but you need to learn this yourself. And why is he alluding back to the Old Testament in Hosea? Because the people of Hosea's day, through their continuing the ritual temple in only a formal way, they had lost its center. They forgot the true meaning. And Jesus is applying this to the Pharisees. And friends, this is, this is a warning for us. 
This is a warning because here's what Jesus is saying. He's not simply telling them they should be more concerned for people who are outcasts and less concerned with issues of purity and getting everything right. He's telling them they've lost the heart of the matter. They have lost their reason for being. He's basically saying, why the church? You've missed it. Do you realize, and this is scary, that we have to be careful here. You know we can do church and do all the right things and you know, we can do worship, we can do, and miss the heart of the matter. Jesus says, I have come not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. This is a stern rebuke and a sober warning. We need to be careful when we think we're right. Being a Pharisee, having a Pharisaical attitude or spirit is not simply being legalistic, not simply thinking you can save yourself. You want to know something about the Pharisees? They probably didn't think that. They didn't think they could save themselves. They were looking for a Messiah. Here was the problem. They missed him when he showed up. I don't know about you, but it'd be pretty sad if Jesus showed up and we missed him because we were doing something missing the heart of the matter. We must be careful or we could miss Jesus when he shows up. And he may show up in some surprising ways. Lastly, God's new world comes with newness. And now you have the issue. First, John the Baptist's disciples asking Jesus about why his disciples do not fast. And they say, we fast. The Pharisees fast. Why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus takes an example from ordinary life. And he says, let's look at a wedding. And here Jesus is the groom and the disciples are the wedding guests. And they are so overjoyed at being with him that to fast would be inappropriate. Jesus' is coming means God's new world has dawned. Everything has changed. It's a new day. Then he goes on to give a second illustration, again from ordinary life. A piece of cloth that hasn't been washed, and therefore it hasn't been shrunk. So if you tightly sew this unshrunk cloth, to old and well-shrunk clothing, what happens if you're trying to fix a tear that way? It only pulls away and causes a worse tear. Then the third illustration was very familiar in the ancient world. See, commentators and scholars, they tell us that skin bottles for carrying various fluids were made by first cutting an animal. You'd kill an animal, you'd cut off its head and its feet, you'd skin the carcass, you'd sew up the skin first side out, because you're sealing, up off all, you're sealing off all the orifices, but one, usually the neck. You would tan the skin very carefully to try to keep out all disagreeable taste. Over time, the skin would become very hard and very brittle. And so if you had new wine that is still fermenting, and you put it into such an old skin that it had become hard and brittle, the buildup would cause such pressure that the container would split and ruin both the container and the wine. What would you have? You'd have a big mess. New wine needed to be placed in new wineskins that were still pliable and able to handle the pressure. Now, three illustrations. Why did Jesus give these illustrations and what do they have to do with each other? In all of these illustrations, a new situation is introduced 
that completely changes the old. There is a regime change, and Jesus is not a head coach. He is the risen and reigning Lord. And that new day, that regime change, changes everything. This new situation completely changes the old. Jesus' is coming into the world introduces a completely new situation that could not simply be patched onto old Judaism or poured into the old wineskins of Judaism. New forms had to accompany the kingdom. Jesus changes everything. Now, see, I want you to notice one more thing. Look look at verse 15. Jesus knew his kingdom would come in two stages. It would be inaugurated and later completed. An initial stage of redemption followed by a final stage of judgment. Look what he says in verse 15. He says, the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. A shadow is looming over the coming of the kingdom. That shadow is the cross. See, how will Jesus be taken from them? Through his death on the cross. Jesus knew his coming changes history because he knew the purpose of his coming was to die. That would be how his mission to forgive, to atone for, to bring renewal, to bring healing, bring peace, to restore lost sinners would be accomplished. And that is how he would change everything. See, notice when he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, that he's saying his mercy is accomplished, but how? Through sacrifice. Through his own. His sacrifice, not ours. See, you can't have Jesus any way you want. You can't come to him on your terms. You must come to him and follow him his way, his authoritative calling, his heart and his mission his values of weakness. See, what do we learn about Jesus' coming? What do we learn about Jesus eating with sinners? It contains a call on your life. That's why when we begin our missional vision, we begin with obedience. Jesus is calling us to something. And to not do it is not just, oh, I forgot. It's rebellion. It's disobedience. His call is authoritative. It is centered on a mission which reflects his heart for the broken. It's surprising. Jesus loves the up and out. He loves the down and out. He loves everyone. He wants us to reach out. It breaks every category of how to approach God. And it changes everything. Do you recognize history will never be the same? Jesus' coming is the central event in all of history. Forget football seasons. Forget, I'll step on toes all over the place. Forget elections. Forget all these things we get so hyped up about. The central event in all of history is the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that he came into the world to save sinners. And I'm sorry, get in line behind me because I think I'm the chief of sinners. That is a category-breaking, history-altering event, the event of all events. The kingdom of God changes everything. Let me ask you, is it changing you? Let's pray.
Father, thank you for sending Jesus into the world. And Lord, we ask that you would continue to change us by your power, by your spirit. Thank you for your grace that you give us mercy through your sacrifice. And now as we go to the Lord's table, help us to not just understand and have the knowledge of that sacrifice, but now to taste it, to taste and see that the Lord is good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, let's sing, stand and sing the first two stanzas, first two verses of When I Survey, the elders come down to the Lord's Supper. received from the Lord, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth says, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, if you are a baptized believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and a part of an evangelical church, you are invited to come to Jesus' table. This is Jesus' table, the table of the Lord. This is not our table. This is not mine, the sessions, LOPCs. This is Jesus' table. He is the host of this meal. And what does he do in this meal? This meal is a covenant renewal service. We said that one of the values of Jesus' kingdom was weakness. That he displays ultimate strength in weakness. And here, even in coming to this table, even in receiving these elements, when the elders pass out these elements in just a moment, here's what they are offering you. They are offering you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know what it means to be a Christian and take the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's to admit your weakness. The only thing you need is need. You bring your need 
and entrust yourself to Jesus' sufficiency. Sometimes that's the hardest thing. We like to be strong. We like to be independent. We like to be able to fix it. We think it's in the Bible, but it's not. God helps those who help themselves. Friends, heresy there. That doesn't exist at all. God helps those who are helpless and powerless. God helps those who say, like Isaiah, woe is me, I am lost, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. So admit your need and come to him. And even my Christian friends, when Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he meant for the entire life to be one of repentance. This is an opportunity for us. You know what repentance is? With a hatred for sin, not because we get caught, but because of its heinousness in and of itself, and a view to God's mercy, we entrust ourselves to Jesus. This supper is a means of grace where God is feeding us with himself to strengthen us by grace. That we obey his call of grace. So friends, my prayer is that we all, whether for the first time or if you've been a follower of Jesus for 50 years, we turn, we let him feed us, and we receive his grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this table. We thank you for your opening your heart, opening your home, opening yourself, coming to us. Everything about this table speaks of you giving of yourself. Lord, we are humbled. We are just, I sometimes don't even know what to say. Please be present with us. Set these elements apart for their holy, extraordinary use. And renew us in grace. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
night Jesus was betrayed, after giving thanks, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me.
same manner, our Savior also took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink all of it. Father, we praise you that as we were reconciled to you through the body and the blood, the death on the cross of Jesus Christ, we are also transformed in our day-to-day living for you through the reconciliation that you have accomplished for us in Christ. So as we have eaten this meal together, shared this meal together, I pray for our continual transformation that we would grow in becoming more Christ-like, that we would grow in the fruit of the Spirit. We would grow in showing Christ to this community. We would grow in being more and more what you call us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we close out our service and sing the final two verses of When I Survey, and then we will have our benediction. bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.